Hi everyone, you're listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast where we look forward to a world where Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping traditions alive. I'm your host, Pamelia Chia, and this week I'm joined by Preston Wong, who is the CEO and lead innovator of Treacha, which is a startup that tackles the problem of food waste with the power of technology and new solutions. The problem of food waste needs no introduction. In Singapore, 790,000 tonnes of food was wasted in 2015, a near 50% increase over a decade. In this conversation, Preston shares about how Treasure provides a solution that addresses food waste while providing value to merchants and everyday consumers. Can you tell me about what your company does on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so our company deals with two areas of wastage primarily. Um, One arm of it works with hotels, restaurants, buffet partners to actually reduce wastage on their end. So our customers, our app users could go to to those restaurants and pick up, take away basically food items at the end of every single uh, meal slot, whether it be lunch or high tea or dinner. Uh, the last 30 to 60 minutes will be the time for them to go in and pack a box. So what we call buffet in a box, that they can fit items that they like from the buffet line into that box and take it away uh, for a pretty decent, awesome $10 uh, uh-huh. roughly kind of fee. And um, yeah, that, that that is quite interesting because usually you would go into a yeah. buffet, sit down for hours and go for a few rounds and pay like maybe... 50 onwards perhaps but yeah so this is a one portion ten dollars plus serving that you take away is it because the buffet i mean the restaurants are not able to serve you know overnight kind of food or like leftovers yeah uh, definitely because it has to be prepared fresh uh, every meal right not even talking about every day but every meal right so once breakfast buffet uh, any of us who have been to i guess like a hotel uh, even on holiday, you'll notice like once the breakfast buffet uh, closes, then they will have to clear it. And then the next one will be lunch. And then lunch will yeah. have a different uh, yeah. menu, right, from breakfast. So they will have to cook, like prepare uh, a, a fresh mm-hmm. serving of each uh, dish. And then at the end of lunch, again, it's cleared and then uh, prepare for high tea or dinner. And, and so it goes on and on. So this whole um, cycle ensures that I guess the food is constantly served uh, as fresh and new and there is no chance for them to actually, I guess, uh, keep it or like, you know, reheat it or anything or serve it because usually food has a, at least for the restaurant type of food, uh, there is a time stamp of about four hours from the time it's prepared. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to actually um, keep it once it gets served out on the buffet line. I guess the only ones that are exceptional might be things like, for instance, uh, this is a industry, I guess, not so, not so close secret. It's quite an open secret uh, where croissants from the breakfast buffet can actually be used to make bread and butter pudding for, um, I guess, desserts or stuff like that. So actually, you can repurpose some of these breads or, mm. or, or I guess you can make croutons out of it and stuff. So it's possible. But for the cooked food, uh, like the... Uh, curry or the roti prata that I was saying, once it's out, it's out, right? I mean, it's very hard to uh, store the curry and uh, serve it again. I don't think that's ideal. And for them, mm. they'd rather prepare a fresh, nice batch each time there's a new uh, meal slot. So that's mm. the problem. 
um, there is no way in which, I guess the only way would be to digest it. And that's, that's a very common method, which is to just throw it into a, you know, a machine that could convert it into some kind of compost or fertilizer. That's one possible outcome. The other oh. one would be to... Is that, is that normally what happens? It depends because not every hotel owns a digester on site. Yeah. yeah. So disposal or rather throwing it is actually the easiest. But of course, okay. if there is a machine, then they will throw it in the machine. Uh, but yeah. regardless whether you throw it in the bin or the machine, it's still, I mean, personally, I would feel the food that has uh, reached that stage, you know, the finished prepared food uh, has mm-hmm. taken the chefs a lot of effort. This one, yeah. hearing from the chefs themselves, I know, uh, they actually yeah. do put in the heart and soul to their to their creations, right? So it's actually a lot of effort put into it only to be thrown into a bin or a digester machine. Uh, it's, it's a waste uh, either way. Yeah. Although you, one would argue that, I mean, of course, it's not a waste completely if you throw it into the digester because in, in the end, it might be converted into fertilizer or energy or water or whatever. But to the chef, like it's still being thrown. I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah it's just the, the outlet. It costs the restaurant owners a lot of money as well, right? I guess the ingredients, there are costs involved. So that's already mm-hmm. set in place, right? The moment they buy the food ingredients, mm-hmm. uh, that's already accounted as cost. So it's yeah. uh, not recoverable by any means. Uh, so yeah. therefore, we come in as a solution to help, I guess, recover some of that cost. Well, of course, not all. Uh, because there's just so much food, right, in a hotel setting. But at least some. So there's some kind of incremental um, recovery of uh, revenue for, for, yeah. for some. Yeah. But ultimately, of course, I think it's also symbolic in terms of how uh, people can play a part because the hotel also wishes to bring in the community to, you know, to jointly uh, reduce wastage together. So it's really a partnership between the 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 business, the hotel, as well as, yeah. I guess, society. I mean, many mm. of them would see it that way as a, as a, yeah. as a involvement, right, of people coming mm. to the hotel to pick up the food. And, and then, of course, if they like the food that much, they might come back again for other things. Yeah. So prior to working with these restaurants, were you already aware of this problem or was it something that you only discovered through working with them? Well, I have, uh, I have actually seen buffet wastage like i mean any one of us who might have seen who might have um gone for a buffet meal or maybe mm. even um had a buffet reception at a wedding or event might see such instances of um wastage so mm. i guess that's very common because not just within mm. hotel restaurants right it used to be in pre covid days that we had those receptions at our offices or you know um weddings or even some funerals as well mm-hmm. so so i guess like different occasions would have buffet lines set up and there would be a there would be an issue with wastage i've seen that myself and i was exploring whether within a retail establishment context so in a case of a buffet restaurant or hotel with so much food um, prepared every day might there be an opportunity so we spoke to some of our earlier hotel partners like grand hyatt singapore Fairmont Singapore, Swiss Hotel, the Stamford. I guess those were Novotel as well. I guess some of those were actually very uh, frank in telling us like, 
the reality of the, the problem. They were not mm. hiding or anything. They would say that this is the reality. It's it's true. There is such a situation. The only question yeah. is how do we uh, work around, like I guess, the existing setups and operational yeah. processes to introduce something that is not in the market but yet be able to to move and to be able to reduce part of that excess uh, food mm. that we see. So that's why yeah. we came up with this and um, it's it's still very new and I think not everybody would know of it uh, because mm. of its novelty and you might not find it in other countries. In fact, it's not found in other countries. We, are, we should be proud as Singaporeans we have this in Singapore. The people hotels are, uh, are pioneering it yeah, in that sense. Yeah. So I mean, from a third party's point of view, right? The question in my mind is, why can't yeah. these restaurants cook less food? I mean, if they if they are aware that there's so much leftovers and so much surplus, yeah. why can't they just cook less? Well, that's a very good question and that's a fair question that I, I ask myself and I ask them at times or so at the start of uh, working with them. But I guess it's always challenging because they are ultimately humans and based on their own, you know, instincts and intuition experience based on like their years of uh, working in the kitchen and all that I think they would estimate or forecast what's the right amount to produce or to prepare Mm. but nobody ever has a accurate to the kind of a prediction because that's not human Uh, Mm. I guess it would take probably technology to bridge that gap but as of now it would be largely estimation, guessing, forecasting, etc. based on the number of uh, you know reservations that would come in. Plus, yeah. perhaps a bit of expectation on number of walk-ins because we recall like for restaurants like these, it's not just the, the reservations, right? Sometimes there are people who just walk in, room guests, right? The, the dine-in, uh, the in-house kind of guests who might just come down from their hotel rooms and they want a meal, right? They walk into the restaurant. So, um, I guess it's a combination of these factors that make it very hard to gauge what's the correct or right amount. So on some days, there might be more, some days might be less. On some days, you might have, I guess, people who are taking less because it's a family. Maybe uh, that might be more, that might be less. I'm not, I'm not too aware, but there are different factors basically at play. So many factors that could influence the ultimate uh, surplus situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but True. no doubt, uh, for no doubt that they would have to prepare something, uh, I guess, extra in case there is not enough. Just mm. like actually, if you think about it, in the past when we used pre-COVID days, we used to have those uh, buffet receptions or even uh, meals that were catered right for events. There would always be usually the catering company would buffer or include like extra portions just to be safe in case there would not be enough. And it could be a cultural thing because for Asians, they don't like to be, you know, embarrassed, malu, right? If let's say there's not enough food or a banquet that doesn't have enough or, you know, it, it just comes across yeah. as being stingy or not not um, hospitable. That's true. Especially for a buffet, right? Where you're used to seeing yeah. like heaps of food. Enough for everybody because, mm. or more than enough, actually. I mean, it, it should be, it should look presentable. It should be more than enough as a host. You will not yeah. want to have less. I guess mm. it, it could be also the same for um, restaurants because on the line, if 
um, you know, you can imagine if the sushi was just like one piece and yeah. the corn was just like one piece, and it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really reflect or portray a good image of mm. the restaurant. Like they're very stingy. Uh. we paid like fifty or hundred dollars for the buffet, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so there are all these kind of different factors at play, and just besides mm. just the now we're talking about a separate point. Besides just the uh, gauging of the correct amount to prepare, it's also about the appearance or the the portrayal yeah. of a, of an image that is hospitable, whether it be a hotel restaurant or whether it be a, even a a household, right? A host that is trying to have a, yeah. an event. Yeah, it, it is actually a part of the Asian, I think, culture to be more generous mm. and lavish with our food, and therefore Definitely. there will be room for extra excess. Yeah. Yeah. And how has the uptake of these um, buffet boxes been so far? Well, I guess in the earlier years, uh, pre-COVID days, we got to a good start. We actually had close to 20 buffet restaurants on board. And I guess even for people who tried, uh, because not many people knew about it at that point in time, we were trying to actually uh, broaden the, the market awareness to, to it. But we do know from statistics that those who have tried it at least once are... Uh, those who have tried it at least once, half of them would come back a second time, at least yeah. earlier days. So that's encouraging. But for now, because in the past one to two years due to COVID, uh, that part of the business has been disrupted uh, many, many mm. times. They closed and opened and closed and opened quite a number of times. So it's very hard to you know meaningfully compare data that way. It's really hard. And I guess for the consumers, there'll be a lot of lingering thoughts whether is it open or is it not open? Or, um, and of course, besides that, there was a period of time where they were not even sure whether they should go to the hotels, right? They just wanted mm-hmm. to stay out of the city. And um, we had a spike. I'm not sure whether you read the news while you were away. Uh, late last year, there was actually two phases of closures. And because of two waves, they were quite severe um, in Singapore. So that actually affected, I guess, confidence uh, and also like in terms of uh, the uh, the the uptake more recently but yeah i think mm. if we if hotels are reopening and the government is sticking to its uh, plan to live with covid to be resilient then we might mm. see more people coming back to try it yeah for sure it's such a good deal i can imagine all the aunties queuing up to get the 10 dollar buffet boxes <laughs> but interestingly be, besides the aunties uh, it's actually people of our age group the millennials that are that are actually very interested in it mm. i i mean in, in the past when we had more data because that time was more regular yeah. right we would see uh people uh young millennials i guess like going for a post workout mm. meal at our hotels and they would load up i guess a lot of uh, good protein and good uh, salads and vegetables from there as well so it's it's actually a good option because it's i mean you can take all you want in that box and the sizing is quite yeah. generous um yeah and and it's not it's it doesn't hurt the pocket yeah. that much it's quite valuable definitely so that is one arm of your business what about right. the other arms well, the other one is uh, for people who would buy groceries. And this is an option for surplus grocery uh, purchases. So when we say surplus groceries, we are dealing with the wastage that happens as a result of um, having either near-expiry products or mm. imperfect products 
or excess products uh, stockpiled in the warehouses, we typically would see our suppliers, which are largely distributors and wholesalers, and some grocery retailers provide us some of these excess stock, expiring stock, or blemish imperfect stock. And these are actually things that may not be accepted generally in the market. So when we talk about, say, supermarkets, the big supermarkets, or even retailers, even e-commerce websites, the big ones, right, that will deal with groceries, sometimes it's not accepted uh, due to different reasons. Uh, appearance could be one big reason. People are not too comfortable with seeing like a dented or torn, you know, packaged product or, you know, a label that's scratched or some crease on the on the item. Uh, those are very common. And then, of course, like near 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 expiry shelf life, short shelf life items are often a cause for concern because for the, the e-commerce platforms or even the supermarkets, I think they will want as long as possible, right? So that the customers can get like the longest shelf life. And you would see them put up, like I guess the ones that are shortest and as a consumer, sometimes we reach into the shelf and grab the one that is like, I guess yeah. the furthest from uh, the current date. Uh, and then we, we take that and then those that are of near expiry, we tend to just uh, not not choose them. So what happens to them? And that's, I guess, where we come in. That's where we come in to actually provide a new channel for such unwanted or perhaps short-dated products. And it can be as short as really just a few days because things like dairy products are very perishable. We have yeah. dairy products like milk, yogurt, eggs, cheese, etc. Those are really short shelf life. So um, we could be talking about like them expiring in a few days' time if they list on our app. This week, we have milk coming in from one of our partners, FNN, uh, that will be expiring just next week. So can you just help me picture this this um, scenario? So basically, they would sell treat germ, their, um, all, all these items like ugly produce and um, products that are expiring. And then Trija will store it in your, your own warehouse and, you know, um, channel it to consumers in that way? Um, actually, it's a very lean model because there's just yeah. so much... There's just so much food out there, right? And we have different, so many different partners. Uh, currently, the model is such that uh, customers on our app, the treat showers, would place orders with us, like how they would on any other shopping platform, right? And then make that purchase, that order. And then once your order is confirmed and you select the date that you want it to be shipped to you or uh, collected from us, we, we offer self-pickup as well. Then we'll get it arranged um, in terms of the bulk quantity that we can get from different suppliers, uh, the different items, uh, whether it be fruits, vegetables, or packaged goods, or dairy products, etc. Uh, we would try to get them in. Mm, that makes sense. So it comes as a, as a full box. Amazing. Yeah, a bag. Most of the time it's a, a box. Yeah, sometimes if, if it becomes too big, <laughs> it becomes a box. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's another arm. Yeah, that's the other arm that is groceries. And so besides the surplus kind of groceries, so these are what we term surplus mm -hmm. because it deals squarely with the issue of food wastage uh, in the grocery industry. So mm -hmm. it's grocery food wastage. Um, but we also have the sustainable type of groceries, which involves us to consider new mm -hmm. options, sustainable alternative options to food and non-food. So non-food products are also available as an alternative. So some examples would be things like soaps. 
soaps that were upcycled from olive oil. We oh, have them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's a that that's a play with I guess food as well because it involves it involves the surplus olive yeah. oils that we sell. So okay. the olive oils. The olives oil hit a certain expiry date. They can't be consumed. Actually, they can be, but they can't be sold as yeah. consu- consumables. So we would um, we would then collaborate with, I guess, our olive oil partner and a soap maker to convert them into soaps. That's so interesting. So it's like a whole ecosystem. It is, but for selective products, of course, selective yeah. products. We can't. We can't. Um, you know, some things are more difficult to convert than other things. So we have to yeah. find ways to 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 basically make sure that nothing is wasted over here. Once it arrives mm. here, if we do have access or if the supplier does have access, we'll try our best. Yeah. Although that's that's also very hard at times because the numbers are staggering. Mm. The, the amount of uh, wastage can be quite a lot. So for those that we can help or we can try to think of ways to either uh, make sure that it doesn't go to waste in the bin, we will do so. Yeah, mm. so... We have soaps. We have things like uh, beeswax wraps. Mm-hmm. Uh, beeswax wraps are like I guess another product as an alternative to the plastic cling wrap. Uh, but also beeswax wrap help to preserve and extend the shelf life of food because they they, they wrap them quite quite well as storage uh, accessories. Yeah. And then we have the usual sustainability merchandise that we will encourage people to have: um, reusable tea bags, reusable straws, reusables well, cups. Etc. Yeah, I guess the more common ones mm. we do have them as well, mm-hmm. um, but the general population, I guess, are still not into all these sustainable merchandise because they are usually, I guess, in terms of the price points, higher than what we are used to for our common plastic alternatives or other alternatives that are really much cheaper. Mm. So it does take a bit of. Uh, a mindset or even a, a shift in terms of the attitudes of people. Yeah. Mm. But it's very interesting, your business model. It sounds like a very collaborative approach where, you know, you work yep. with a lot of suppliers and a lot of different partners. Is it difficult, yep. you know, for you as a business owner to run such a business? Uh, I guess it's, it, you're right to say that it's collaborative and the collaborations extend beyond just the buying and selling of products because that's, well, I guess in that case, then would be more, towards an e-commerce, strictly e-commerce kind of model. But as you can see, it's not happening that way. There are a lot of collaborations going on to make sure that, I guess whatever we do, it's centered around the reduction of food wastage and promoting attitudes towards treating food as treasure, right? Treasure. So mm-hmm. the, the idea of collaboration also involves uh, making new, new things out of the unwanted or the excess expiring goods. So we have actually collaborated with some of them for their ingredients to turn it into something new. That's actually uh, interesting because, for instance, if we do have um, excess chocolates, we've done excess chocolate, we've converted it into chocolate cake, chocolate chip cookies, etc. before, and then reselling it as a, as a new product. So, mm-hmm. so from time to time, there are these surprises and these uh, limited edition kind of uh, products that we we would bake and we would, of course, not us directly. We would get the professionals to do it for us, like pastry chefs and all. Yeah. So, for example, if you have like a, uh, an ingredient, like a surplus ingredient, yeah. would you guys 
think of the the idea like you know the yeah. product that you want to upcycle and then you reach out to yeah, uh, maybe makers or like crafts people to yes, come up correct. with that product that's the idea uh so as to make sure that whatever that passes through our 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 hands uh doesn't end up as waste and i'm, I'm very glad that mm-hmm. over the past few years since we handled the groceries at least like it's minimal i wouldn't say that there is no waste but it's very minimal um, mm. it's very very low yeah very very minimal so whatever that can be turned into something uh, would be would be actually converted into something interesting I mean we've done mm-hmm. quite a lot of experimentations with different bakers mystery, we call them mystery bakers cakes these <laughs> pastries uh, yeah things that usually things that can be um, consumed and frozen as well sometimes we've Many times you freeze them because when you freeze them, you can actually eat them for long. Yeah, mm. so some of the pastries, even though it's frozen, it's actually quite nice, like frozen cakes, frozen cheesecakes, etc. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one word that I heard you use just now was treat jurors. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't coin that term, actually, Pamela. I didn't coin that term. Actually, along the way, I think some of our team members, the interns and all, I think they, they just gave that spin to that. Yeah, but I love that. I feel that, you know, it points towards building kind of a community. Yeah. Uh, a community of people who share the same kind of values and who want to um, basically reduce their carbon footprint. From the perspective of a business, how do you cultivate this community? Uh, I guess... At this point, I mean, it's not easy. We are over 30,000 in terms of the user base. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, but it's it's still a lot of personal. I mean, some would say that it's actually not a very uh, effective way of, you know, like <clears throat> reaching out, right? I mean, or, or even like uh, having such uh, personal contacts with like individual users. But we try our best. We really, really try our best to remember remember names, remember usernames, remember like, uh, their preferences and all. Uh, it's not easy, but uh, yeah, I mean, the more times you actually say food with us, of course, the more we'll remember you. <laughs> but there are there are people who are, yeah, very memorable because we've either met them at the buffet restaurants, like just chatting with them, like their, their motivations for help, for helping to save food. Uh, or even things like, uh, I guess, social media. Sometimes we do see them sharing about us uh, with the things that they get from us. I think Devon is a very good example. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. these are these are relationships that we that we, we value, like, we treasure, we thank them for all their, not just their support for our business, but also, I yeah. guess, like their own mini, like, you know, efforts. Just to give the listeners some context as to who Devon is. So Devon is actually a member of Singapore Noodles yeah. and she was the one who introduced me to Treacher and like the work that they do because Devon is very into this um, live lightly, you know, uh, lower your carbon footprint kind of thing. And so I was asking her a question, which was, you know, how can Singaporeans embody that kind of ethos, you know, because now Devon is based in uh, Taiwan, in rural Taiwan, and she kind of grows her her own vegetables, sources direct from farmers. And so, you know, I really wanted to see how that could, that kind of philosophy um, could be applied to a Singaporean context. And she pointed me towards you guys. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen her in a while. So I hope she's doing well in, in Taiwan. But definitely, I yeah. think during the circuit breaker, for sure, this I remember because, uh, yeah, I think she she did save quite a lot of different uh, grocery ingredients. 
And then I think she also mm. cooked some things out of it and shared quite frequently with her friends and family. Yeah. yeah. So is that all of the all of the arms of your business? Did we cover everything? Um no. So this is purely with the I guess the the work on the app, right? In terms of the direct like uh in terms of the direct platform that we're talking about. But outside of the app we also do other things. So one of the things that we've been uh working on the past few years I guess is a lot of uh, education and sharing. So that's part mm-hmm. of, I guess, also advocacy. So TreeShare serves beyond just an e-commerce platform, right? We don't want to be just another e-commerce platform. We don't want to be just a platform where you get deals and discounts. So that's why the term that we always coin is ideals beyond deals. Ideals of basically sustainability and sharing about uh, the whole issue. Since we are, I guess, one of the pioneers in this mm-hmm. space, we've seen how this has evolved um, we want to share our learnings as well as we grow mm-hmm. as we journey along sustainability so education and sharing with different corporates different schools and organizing events and workshops and learning journeys uh, has been something that we we are very happy to do like outside of our main kind of uh, uh, mm. business or main work and of course like it's not a big part of uh, what we do meaning to say that mm. it doesn't take up like every day or yeah. doesn't take up the whole week uh, but yeah sure. these, are, these are actually meaningful interactions like yesterday yesterday only just yesterday uh, we were at mm. one of the polytechnics in Singapore so we were doing a sharing on I guess food wastage and uh, how the youths largely uh, polytechnic students could contribute mm. so I think that's very meaningful because then they would one day they would become working adults. One day they would, uh, you know, yeah. have purchasing power, right? For like, I guess, groceries or even meals. Then they can take ownership of that mm. because it starts at a young age. So by reaching schools and all that, it's great that, yeah. Unfortunately, the, the education curriculum yeah. is still undergoing changes. Uh, the ministries are still working into incorporating sustainability into the education for our you know, very young yeah. children and students, I think it'll take a while. But as of now, yeah, organizations like us plug the gap in you know this. Sometimes we also share with teachers. Mm. We've done a learning journey with teachers before. Uh, teachers are also not fully equipped or not fully aware mm. of some of these sustainability issues. So we actually do that our part, lah. I guess in terms of sharing, and in terms of equipping them with some kind of a at least like a foundational knowledge. For yeah. sure. I think it's so, so important, this this segment of the work that you do. I mean, advo- uh, advocacy and really educating young children. Yeah, um, or even corporates. Like when we talk about yeah, corporates, exactly. right? Um, they are actually the change makers. So the managers, the staff behind the corporations, uh, mm. they can then internalize and consider how then can their organizations become uh, more sustainable because every organization can always rethink, you know, in terms of uh, the practices and the policies, right? How, what can we do? Um, mm. And what can we, how can we make like uh, this year a more sustainable uh, uh, year for, for our operations? I think that's something that it's a journey, right? So every yeah. company should always go through this review, like how you review your targets and objectives. Yeah. Uh, it's setting like for this new year, maybe we can, uh, you know, consider using less paper or consider switching to other alternatives for 
food sources, if they have like food operations, etc. So, so there are ways in which we can always like fine tune, improve, and uh, make it more sustainable for the staff and also for the uh, the organization in general for its customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. What I really love is that you guys are a values-led business and, you know, yep. you you have an overarching mission. Um, yep. and, and it is a mission that is very counter-cultural. Would you agree? It's it's something that, you know, is not that common. Um, yes, so my question to you would be, what keeps you going? And how do you stay positive um, and, and motivated in the work that you do? On a personal level, there is, of course, faith that can keep me, like, uh, strengthened. Um, then, of course, like, in bad times or, like, difficult times, then I can always pray <laughs> that things will uh, improve. And there's, there's always faith. But outside of that, like, on a business level, uh, then we have people that encourage us continuously. And that I mean by our community of uh, our, you know, the treasurers, the merchants, uh, partners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about partners, it's not just the, the merchant suppliers that are our partners or the hotel partners, not just those partners, but there are also partners who, which support us in our work. Um, there are corporate mm-hmm. partners or governmental partners. I think they believe in what we do. So for one, like a shout out mm-hmm. to, for example, DBS Bank. I think they have been one of mm-hmm. the organizations that have been supporting us quite a lot the past few years, uh, they have been they have been very eager to actually share about us internally uh, with their staff as well as mm-hmm. externally to their stakeholders. So they've done they've done quite a lot in that aspect. Um, and again, it's because they champion social entrepreneurship and uh, the whole zero waste cause. I think that's something that they, they are very mm-hmm. very mindful of. We have also governmental yeah. agencies that um, are our partners. They constantly also share about us. And also, even the civil servants and the you know the the, the public officers, right, that um, believe in what we do. So right from the very start, in a few years ago, as I mentioned, like a few years back, when we were nobody and the scene was not that crowded or not that um, populated with so many initiatives, I guess we were one of the early ones that touched base with them and kept the relationship strong with, I guess, government agencies. That uh, this is something that we have been doing. So we are not a we're not a fly-by-night uh, business as well. We've been here for many, many years and we've always tried to, I guess, like bring good values of sustainability to our mainstream audience, right? And not just that, you know, mm-hmm. echo, eco-chamber of conscious f- folks, like individuals. The, the goal should always be to make it mainstream, right? To make the message of sustainability, yeah. reducing food wastage mm-hmm. as mainstream as possible. What point is there if it's just within that eco-chamber, right, of eco-conscious mm. people? So I think it, for us, we can, break the, we can break the barrier because precisely because actually for us, price is actually not a big issue unlike other sustainable merchandise that may face challenges of accessibility because of the price point uh, issues. So mm. I would think that, yeah, surplus food is actually a good... Um, bridge because can show mm. people that actually things can be affordable and yet it is it is good stuff now if you don't mind the exterior yeah. and you don't mind the short dated uh condition of the food and all that if you look beyond that so i guess the, the greater um maxim or the greater like a uh, teaching behind this would be that 
we got to look beyond, I guess, just the imperfections and the conditions of, of food or the, 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 the things that we actually don't see would be, I guess, the, the inner beauty and the, the intrinsic value, right? The intrinsic value of food. Yeah. Uh, so things that are expiring, it doesn't mean that it's spoiled. Neither are things that are dented or torn in packaging necessarily bad. So a lot of discernment is involved uh, to see whether the, the food is actually, uh, you know, can still be consumed or not. Which I think for us, yeah. we're trying bit by bit, <laughs> every single article of food that has this kind of conditions, we're trying to let people know. So on our app, you'd see conditions are actually uh, stated as a, as a, like a line. We would tell people like condition expiring uh, in how many days, etc. that kind of thing, or is torn and all that. I think that's very weird for a platform to have because usually mm. things won't things won't be that uh, I guess like honestly disclosed but we have to because then again it's a different kind of uh, food products or products uh, from others yeah we are we are always uh, thinking of that uh, as in sharing that with people and of course another area mm. that we've always been looking at uh, that is keeping us going if you're asking about keeping us going is the progress that we have made in terms of uh, the needle that we have shifted or moved in society over the past few years as well, right? Contributing to this dialogue, mm. uh, it's very meaningful to be part of that process and that keeps us continually uh, going and growing. Uh, the, the chance yeah. to contribute. So in a way, like this business is contributing to society, not just in terms of the food safe, but I would define it broader mm. to be the contribution to the food wastage sustainability dialogue or discourse in Singapore. Uh, because mm. some people, I mean, there is one person, one of our treasurers left a, a sticky note uh, in our in our shop here. We actually have a concept mm. store in the CBD as well for people to pick up their goods. Uh, she left a note yeah. saying that um, to her, a treasurer is like a symbol of sustainability since she got to know about it because we stand for basically that message of food wastage for sustainability. So, it's become a symbol for her personally and she she thanks us for being, you know, part oh, of that. Oh, wow. That, That's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess, like, being a pioneer or, like, to start in this space is 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 great. To keep it going is, I guess, even harder. <laughs> to keep it going yeah. amidst all the pandemic is very, very hard. Uh, but, yeah, we have uh, gone through different waves, different progressions and evolutions. So, I think that keeps us going. Yeah, I feel that what's great about your app is that it makes living a sustainable lifestyle or a more sustainable lifestyle accessible. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about, oh, sustainability or environmentalism, they'll be like, oh, I have to, I have to spend a lot of money on ethically made clothes. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, I have to buy free-range pork or free-range chicken. But I think, you know, what you're doing is giving people a very uh, easy way, like an easy in. To, to change yeah. the way that they live. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one. And also, I guess, the other message that we are also sharing with not just consumers, but businesses, is that technology can actually, uh, you know, play a part in addressing such issues, such really thorny issues. So for us, at the core of it, uh, the app, if you take away the app, is actually a an interest or desire to use technology to empower behavioral changes. And that's something that mm. we're working on, um, I guess, over the years. It's a bigger project like, that we have. Yeah. Like, 
to actually go deeper and study why is it that there are such you know behaviors going on because food wastage mm. is not just about as i mentioned producing too much it's also about a lot of other factors that can result in the wastage mm. or the excess right yeah. it might take like some kind of a deeper study or bigger study to uncover root causes and mm. um, even propose predictions and you know ways in which that yeah. That that wastage can be reduced further, and there are companies that are doing that. Yeah, um, but mm. there is just so much to cover in from different angles. That's yeah. true. Can I ask you why you decided to develop an app? I mean, like you know, a typical company would just have a browser, like a website, a website. for people to yeah. to access. So why an app? Yeah, that's a very good question. And uh, at times, many at times along the way, we actually felt that. Yeah, maybe a website could do it better as well. Um, but at that point in time when we wanted the app, right? I think number one, I mean, this is from a personal founder point of view, right? At the start. The first was that I think we were inspired by the many apps that came out around the period that we started just before. The golden years of basically consumer apps, the rise of consumer apps. Um, mm. Think about all the basically the right-hailing apps, the um, the property uh, apps, the uh, the sharing marketplace kind of Airbnb and carousels mm. and all that. I think those actually played uh, quite a big inspirational role because mm. that period, that window where they grew phenomenally in terms of like consumer usage, the early 2010s basically, was when the period where we started to see and get inspired and then when we started this in the mid 2010s around 2016 mm-hmm. um yeah i think that was the time where we we felt that yeah maybe we could also play a part in coming up with another app that could that could yeah revolutionize i guess the way we share food at that point in time actually there wasn't much of a technology involved it was mostly food food distribution charities and you know like uh ground up kind of uh, NGOs doing the you know the redistribution to charities if there's surplus mm. food. So yeah. there wasn't any uh, technology used and so we thought maybe a, a funky cool app that could come on board and like you know change the way we uh, buy and sell such, such, such surplus food or even give away such surplus food. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally at that point in time um, I was actually witnessing my family members throwing out food from the refrigerator. So I asked myself whether I could build a platform such that people could just easily upload, take a snapshot of the food that was in their fridge. And if they wanted to, they could give it away or you know sell it to someone. That, that was the very initial idea. So if you ask me why it was like that, it was because of the initial uh, problem statement or initial idea. Mm. And then, of course, when we talked to F&B, we realized that a location-based kind of uh, function would be helpful and therefore an app came into play because the very, very early iteration of the Treatshare app was not hotels, neither was it groceries. It was really about local mom-and-pop shops, F&B, Heartland kind of uh, bakeries and confectioners. If you trace back in time, that was where we started actually. The very, very beginnings was unlike, it's, it's not quite like um, the business that we, we see today, very, very mm. different. We would work with individual mom and pop shops in the heartlands, mm. even in very far-flung neighborhoods. And then if there is excess food somewhere in, for example, MacPherson, 
someone would actually post it there. The shop owner would post it and the individual users would go there and pick it up for themselves. So that was the very initial version one of the app, which required the app for convenience, I guess, like location tracking and all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. I feel that it's so revolutionary what you're doing. I have one last question for you, and that is, what is the hope uh, that you hope to see or the change that you would hope to see in Singapore's food scene in the coming years? Well, I guess it's uh, embracing more surplus ingredients into the, the menu. So that is something that mm. uh, we think that there is, a, there is a good opportunity there for restaurants, mm. for chefs to consider repurposing ingredients into uh, new items. Mm-hmm. So we've already seen that in terms of the upcycling or upcycled products that have been made. Yeah. So from beers to chips to all that. But I guess the next wave we would hope to see would be F&B outlets also considering that and incorporating more mm-hmm. surplus ingredients into procurement and as well as, I guess, like their menu options. That's one. Yeah. Second one, of course, would be in terms of the local uh, pr- produce, right? Definitely would hope to see more varieties and options. Right now, mm, it's definitely. kind of limited in a sense, like there are only a few types, right? But I believe with further R&D, they might be able to replicate like non-tropical conditions for certain types mm. of uh, produce. That would be exciting to see. That would be a hope that we can mm. have uh, some of these you know, varieties that are not currently seen here and besides just fruits and vegetables of course Mm. we would hope to see even things like i think they're trying it out now things like rice and noodles pasta and all that coming from singapore itself also Uh, that that Mm. would be very helpful because (laughs) we we need as well right i guess all these carbohydrates and alternative nutrient sources rather than just the vegetables Mm. and fruits um, so that would be very interesting to see. Well, thanks, Preston, for you know sharing about your business so candidly, and also for inspiring me and all our listeners um, about how we can shift our mindsets, you know, and basically change our lifestyles. So thank you for coming on the podcast, and thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of the Singapore Noodles Podcast. You have been listening to Preston Wong, who is the CEO and lead innovator of Treacher. We now stand at the crossroads where we are witnessing the vanishing of traditional dishes and the gradual erosion of our rich food culture. Now more than ever, we have to encourage one another to get back into the kitchen and start cooking dishes from our heritage. Singapore Noodles is offering a membership dedicated to equipping anyone with everything that they need to start cooking local. Go to sgpnoodles.com to find out more. Once again, thank you for listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast where we look forward to a world where Singaporeans are proud of our rich and diverse food culture and play an active role in keeping our traditions alive.